This is the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline. When I'm talking to any prospective student, I always ask them, you know, one of the first questions, so where are you, where are you looking to go to, you know, what, what schools are you looking at? And they'll tell you. And I'll say, let me ask you a question. And they'll say, I said, do they have a football stadium? Yeah. Have a baseball field? Yeah. Do they have a library? Yeah. Do they have a, like a, a dining hall, like a student center? Yeah. Do they have a science building? Yeah. They have a business school? Yeah. I go, yeah, we got all those too. I said, but what they don't have is the people. The people at TCU are the differential advantage, have always been the differential advantage here. That is the voice of Neely professor Bob Aiken, who has been a professor at TCU since 2002. Bob will talk about his path to get to TCU, a very untraditional one, as well as some of his favorite moments on TCU's campus, including one with a very renowned TCU quarterback. We are so excited today to be joined by Bob Aiken. Bob is a professor at the Neely School of Business. He's been a professor here since 2002, and he also got his undergraduate and graduate degree and doctorate, I believe, from here? Yes, three of them. Three. He's a three-timer here at TCU, and now he is teaching, and he is a professor uh, spreading his knowledge to the students of today. So thank you so much for joining us today, Bob. Glad to be here. You had a bit of a non-traditional route as a student. Uh, didn't necessarily come in right away, as a lot of kids no. do right out of high school. So talk about that uh, that path you took. What was your life before TCU, and then how did you decide to come here? Well, that's kind of an understatement that I took an untraditional route, because that is so true. Um Gabe, I just dropped off my son in Washington, D.C., and told him, you know, he he finished up at the end of July. So it took him, quote, unquote, four and a half, you know, I'm going to say a half, four and a half years to, I said, hey, you beat your old man. It took him 18. So I graduated high school in 1980 and then went to college at another university here in Texas and uh, proceeded to play too much and really wasn't taking it serious because, you know, I, I knew I was going to go to work for my dad all along. You know, my dad's my best friend, and uh, probably learned more business than from him than anybody else in the world. And so, what I did was, you know, I just kind of went to this other university and played a lot more than I should have because I knew I was never going to have to interview for a job because I was going to go to work for him. And then, so we had a little bit of tragedy occur in uh, uh, March fifteenth, nineteen eighty-five. Um, one of our employees was killed. He was our sales manager, so I had to come home and go to work. And um, literally, I was in class on Friday as a college student. I'd driven home because I was sick, wasn't feeling good. That occurred on Saturday morning. I got up, drove back to Lubbock, picked up, I shouldn't have said that, drove back to Lubbock and uh, packed up my apartment and uh, drove home Sunday and started work Monday. So it was like, what just happened and um because of that you know you know it's funny i always said the good lord has a plan for all of us and it's the funny thing is is mine has been so non-traditional uh and just so happens that there was a young man named scott ankrum who is one of my best friends his dad worked for us worked with us for 30 years um scott had just signed to play football here it was jim wacker's first five star I mean, if there were such a thing as there weren't stars back then. I mean, this was he was um, selected as uh, the state of Texas as the uh, top athlete 
top football player in the in the entire state. So he sang, came here to play football. Scotty ended up being my roommate. He lived with me, and um, that's how really my introduction to, to TCU because uh, through that, um, you know, Frank Wendiger and all the coaching staff and Barbara Herman, who is integral in my progress here. So, um, you know, hanging around and then uh, so progressing the business world uh, helped help dad grow the business uh we were i think when we sold we were doing about 12 million uh when i came we were doing about five no it's not because of me it's because we had you know we had a great team of people uh we really focused on our employees and dad really focused on making sure that you know we had the right people in the right place like i said i learned more from him in the business world than anybody so then um you know uh 1991 came I uh, had a blind date and kind of fell in love you know and so ended up uh, my wife Nan and I our first date was May 20 uh, May 22nd 1991 um, and this young lady had her MBA in finance and I didn't have an undergraduate degree you know that really kind of never it always kind of bugged me because I'm not a quitter and so progress through and then I end up um, you know through a whole bunch of different processes um, Barbara Herman who is um, I think her title is like one of the vice chancellors here you know something and um, Barbara's a great friend dear friend um, so I kind of told her and I told coach Windiger uh, Frank Windiger who was the athletic director at the time um, that you know I'd never completed my degree and it kind of bugged me and so they kind of pushed me and so <laughs> Went and uh, got my transcript, and Barbara took it over to the um, admissions office, and they, <laughs> I laughingly say, evaluated it because it probably went a real long evaluation. Like this guy was in and did what? He didn't do anything, and so um, ended up. Um, they told me what I needed to take at TCC at the or TCJC at the time, and uh, so I went and took those courses. Uh, it's amazing how my grades were a lot better because I had just gotten married. Um, this is, you know, 92. And so I did all that. And um, then I took f uh, four classes here at TCU as a visiting student, which I could do. Made good grades there. So I'd raise my GPA up. And so I made formal application to, the, to, the, uh, to TCU. And um, they denied me. They said I needed to go back out to TCJC and take more classes to get in. I was like, I'm done. I'm, you know, I've done everything they've asked. I'm done. So I'm the kind of guy that if somebody helps you and supports you, and, and you know, I'm when I make a decision that is counter to what their help was, and at, at this point it was going to be me quitting, you know, seeking a degree here at, at TCU, um, I'm going to go thank you face-to-face. And so I went to go, I never will forget this, I went to Frank Windiger's office, and it's funny, as I'll tell you the kind of the backstory. The, I call it the Paul Harvey side here in a minute. So I went to Frank's office, and I sat down in front of him and said, Coach, I just came here to thank you for your help, but I think I'm going to have to stop because they're not letting me in, and I just, I mean, I've done everything they've asked. And, and so he said, hold on a second. He turns around and picks up the phone. And he called, I remember it like I was sitting there today. He calls Leo Munson, who was the dean of admissions at the time. And Leo is 
uh, just retired here as one of the vice chancellors and um, over academics. And so he says, Leo, it's Frank. He said, look, I've never asked you for a favor in 35 years. He said, you need to let Bobby Aiken in. He's done everything we've asked. And, and I'm sitting there and my mouth is like on the floor. I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, he says, I'll take this to Tucker if I have to. He said, no, 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 no. And he hangs up the phone, and I'm just sitting there, and I, I know the look on my face was like I had just seen a ghost or something. And I'm like, oh, my God. And, and Frank looks at me, and he says, he goes, I won't take it to Tucker. He said, but I'll take it to Kaler if I have to. And I'm like, Coach, I thanks, man, but I just I, I, I don't know what to say. He says, well, let's, let's just see how it works. So by the time I got back, to, I literally drove to my office on Vickery, which is five minutes away from here, from his office. <laughs> I walked in, and Brenda Wooten, my secretary, hands me and says, uh, Leo Munson at TCU, what, what's, he called him, needs you to return his call. And I'm like, oh, really? So I called him back and said, Dean Munson, it's Bob Aiken returning call. And he goes, Bobby, I've taken a look at your file, and I've taken a personal interest in this. We're going to let you in. We're, we think you're just, and I'm like, Dean Munson, thank you, sir. I cannot appre I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. You know, and, and, and I'm, okay, so the Paul Harvey side. So I never told Leo until about probably, I've been here 17 years, and probably about maybe five, six years ago, I told Leo, we were laughing, and Leo Munson is a dear friend, and he's just an awesome guy. I mean, I love talking to him because he is so down to earth, and he's that's that's what TCU is. Everybody here is great. And so I started laughing, and I said, I was sitting in front of, I said, do you remember that phone call? And he goes, yeah, I remember it well. And I said, I was sitting in front of Frank's desk. He said, really? And I go, yeah. I said, Leo, I said, I had nothing to do with that. I came in there to thank him, but I was going to go somewhere else. I was looking at other options of, of going to graduate from. And he starts rolling laughing. And he said, well, I'm glad we let you in. And then every time I would see Frank at like a baseball game, and he would always, he would always, you know, I mean, I just, I, I put him on a pedestal. And, um, He'd always say, yeah, this is the guy they wouldn't let in, but now he's teaching here. And I'm like, oh, shh, coach, come on, man, don't be telling people that. We're going to think bad of this place. So that's, that's to me, is, is how I got to TCU because of it's all people. I don't care what you know. It's, it's who you know. It's not the grades you make. It's the hands you shake. And if my students that hopefully listen to this are going to go, I've heard him say that 100 billion times, but i firmly believe it's true so long story short i'm sorry no that was perfect that was phenomenal it's a great way to see all the people that cared back then and shows that they still care today yeah so once you get in as mm -hmm. a tcu soon after that long road being the non-traditional route what was kind of your experience like <laughs> oh that's why please if you're a student now listening to this be nice to the old guys in class because i was a 36 year old sitting in class with one kid on the ground and one kid on the way. Um, no, we'll forget. It was like, I think, my first semester here. Um, as I'm backing out to go take a test in my 30153 class, which is it was, uh, it's the uh, marketing management, what I teach now. Um, my wife walks out holding my daughter, Allie, and hands me a this disc, this square tan disc. And in the center of this disc is a plus sign. And I'm like, what is this? She goes, I'm pregnant. 
I'm like, you're going to hit me with this. I'm going to take a test right now, and you hit me with this? Second kid on the way. So, yeah, it was um, – I was that guy that was, you know, I was – and I always made a conscious effort. I didn't want to be the guy that was – you know, the the guy that answers all the professor's questions. I was a skydecker, man. I sat on the back row, and I listened, and I took notes. Um, I, I remember taking one class with John Breyer. Uh, Roberta Corder was my, my advisor. She, you know, my, my degree is technically is uh, Bachelor of General Studies because that way I could use all of my hours from everywhere and kind of compress and compile and get a degree. And Roberta talked me into taking this course called Science, Scientist, and Society, taught by John Breyer. And John Breyer is one of the smartest guys on this campus and just great guy. And um, I remember the first two weeks, remember, I hadn't been in a classroom in a long time. I'd, I'd been running businesses. I'd, I'd helped build a company from $5 million to $12 million. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to this lecture. And the first two weeks of class, I would literally, because I sat on the back row, I would turn around and figuratively look at the baseboard because John's lectures were so far over my head I prayed that they hit the wall and gathered at the baseboard so I could sweep them up in a notebook and at least take them home and try to decipher them um yeah it was I mean it was a great class it really taught me to challenge myself in critical thinking and and, and everything else and so coming back to education after realizing what I had the opportunities I had blown and lost and screwed up on, um, it made me appreciate so much more. So I, I guess being a little bit older was a lot better for me. I mean, I, they say males mature later than females, and I am definitely a clinical study <laughs> in that because I can firmly support that. So once you got your degree in general studies, what was the plan coming out of college? Well, the first time, yeah, first time, um, actually what had happened was we had sold our business in 97, December 1st, 1997. So when I graduated in May of 98, I, I was retired, I, you know, I'd, I'd retired and I was working, you know, I was living under basically a non-compete. It was a compensable non-compete that would get a check every month for not doing pest control work kind of blew my mind. And so um, it was cool because the last nine hours I took at TCU, I, I was unemployed. I, I, didn't, I didn't have a job. So I was, you know, I made TCU working, finishing my degree, my job. Um, and so after that, I was just like, okay, so I graduated. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now? Um, and I got real tired of driving carpool. Because my my wife was a flight attendant, and so she was flying off every three days for a three-day trip, and I was taking care of the kids. I had two kids, man. I'm having to, it's, it's kind of cool. You know, I'm driving carpool and, you know, all that great stuff, and, man, I felt my skills diminishing. So in August of 98, I started a publishing company doing historical publishings. Um, and it was, it was fun because I love history. I'm the biggest history buff in the world. Um, and so... I got that up, got it going, and then um, for other reasons that I really don't want to go into, um, realized that uh, there's something wrong here. So I started doing some digging and found out that, yeah, we need to shut this thing down at the significant loss. (laughs) So lost money there, shut it down. But you know what's funny is I tell people this all the time. 
the money that we lost in that deal, um, I could have paid for an undergrad, an MBA, and a doctorate at Harvard, and I probably would not have learned a fraction at Harvard that I did in this failed business venture. So that's, I always say, you know, your failures better be your greatest classroom. You know, uh, what I tell my students is, you know, don't fear failure. Um, learn from it, you know, because when you fail, you learn. And if you, if you fail to learn, you're going to fail a lot more and you're going to plateau very early in your career. So then started the publishing company, got rid of it. And then in 2000, um, Bill Moncrief and I were talking. Bill is probably the greatest mentor outside of my family that I have. Um, Bill Moncrief is, he's the reason I'm teaching at TCU. And he's the reason I continue to teach at TCU. Um, you know, the students I absolutely love. And Bill has really helped me a lot grow. Um, he sat on both of my doctoral committees. He's, he was the, um, he sat on my, my, my doctor of education in higher ed leadership here at TCU. And he sat on my, I also hold a doctor of business administration from Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. He was the co-chair of, of that committee. So Bill has been a very integral part of me being at TCU and a very integral part of my both of my doctorates. Um, he's, a, he's just a great guy. And so he's the one that came to me. He was interim dean at the time, and he said, why don't you come teach? And I'm like, I can't teach. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a teacher. No. He said, no, I need you to teach. Because he was making a big push at that time to bring real world into the classroom. Um, Rob Rhodes who teaches B-Law, and Rob is, I had him in the MBA program as, as my professor, and he's phenomenal. Um, once again, always every professor I've ever had, I've always tried to take the best from what they have and what they offered and incorporate that into my teaching style, and there's a lot of Rob Rhodes in me. Thank you, Robbie. I appreciate that. Um, and so David Miner had just opened the Center for Entrepreneurship, and so there was this big push on bringing real world into the classroom. And Bill really spearheaded that initiative as interim dean. He uh, brought in the executive MBA program. He brought, you know, which is subsequently what I went through and graduated in 2000. I was in that program when I got my MBA. And he said, I want you to teach, but the problem is you got to have an MBA. And I'm like, okay. He said, look, get your MBA. There's one of three programs. Get in. Got in. Finished my MBA. And uh, finished at No. 2. Started teaching as an adjunct um, at Tarrant County Junior College on the Northwest campus uh, before I had finished. And he said, I want you to get some classroom experience. So I did that. And then as soon as I graduated with my, my MBA, I started teaching as an adjunct. I taught one class. And um, no one forget this. He was senior associate dean at the time in charge of all the undergrad programs. And he said, uh, called me and he said, hey, I saw your, saw your spots. Good job. Um, next semester, you're teaching four classes. I went, whoa, whoa, what? I went from one class to four classes. I'm like, whoa, okay. So had to ramp it up. And so, yeah, there's, there's, some, other, there's some other great concrete stories in there. But I think of you probably maybe for another podcast <laughs> one day. So, but, you know. And so how did you prepare to learn all the material? And, I mean, just, you know, not knowing you want to be a professor, 
I didn't want to be a professor. You, you become a you become a professor, and they tell you to teach four classes. Yeah. You know how did you buff up on all the material? That's that's. This is why I think um, TCU is just really really great because they're not going to hire you if they don't trust you. Number one, and, and they I mean we've got some really good scholar teachers and some really good teacher scholars so there's 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 a big difference um it's like here's the classes you're teaching um we prefer you use this textbook <laughs> and in the 30153 classes uh chuck lamb who's the author of lamb hair mcdaniel which is the probably it's the most widely adopted textbook for the principal's courses um, Chuck Lamb just happened to be a, a professor here at TCU, so it's like uh, we prefer that you use the Lamb book because everybody in the department uses it, and we've all adopted it. And um, so it's like, uh, absolutely, sounds good to me. So Chuck, you owe me. Um, so, so therefore, you know, it's just, they just they let you develop and design your own course, and and that's what I did. And you know, I've, my courses are heavily, heavily, heavily skew towards experiential learning. In addition to his time as a TCU professor, Bob is also a member and past chairman of the Fort Worth Stock Show Syndicate. When I joined, there was probably 40 guys. Now we're about 140. Um, and it's, we're the guys that um, on the last Saturday of the Stock Show run um, is the Junior Sale of Champions, which is where the steers are, are, are sold and then we sell off the grand champion and the really the champion class of goats pigs lambs and then the steers these are the kids that are 4-h kids and ffa kids and um predominant i mean uh, i think somebody told me this past year was the first year that, that i think every county in texas was represented um there was there's typically about anywhere from 3,500 to 4,000 steers are entered. And um, I think 287 made the show, hmm. made the sale. So this this sale here is the, it's the World Series, it's the Super Bowl, it's the, it's the, it is the sale because the kids get 100% of the funds that the business community commits to them. And that's where the syndicate comes in the syndicate is the one. We're the ones that go out and we get the business owners and other philanthropic-minded people to buy the steers at a severely elevated price. Um, typically, it's around six dollars a pound, and these kids will walk away with anywhere from you know, if it's a thousand-pound animal, six thousand dollars. Um, the grand champion sold for two hundred thousand, so the kid gets two hundred thousand dollars. Other sales around the state of Texas, they cap what the kids get. We're not going to do that. Um, the kid raised that, and we find that most of the kids will raise three, four steers, and they'll take them to different sales. But they always bring their best animal to Fort Worth because it is they know they're going to get the most money for it. And the better they, the better they place, the better they show, the more money they get. So, <clears throat> long story short, most of these kids, I'd say ninety-five to ninety-nine percent of them, take those funds, put it in the bank. For a scholar to use for 
um, college, and so college did, fund. Did you have a background in cattle raising? Or no, how you, no. How'd you get involved with it? No, I just, you know, kind of uh, uh, grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, around a bunch of farms and ranches, and, you know, we had little spots and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's... Um, for me, it was much more of a philanthropic play than it was ever a cowboy play. You know, I always told people, I'm a much better golfer than I am a cowboy. So, <laughs> And then four years after uh, starting as a professor here, you got involved with the Intercollegiate uh, Athletics Coalition. Right. What was, how did you get involved with that and what was your responsibility for <clears> that? Uh, Linda Moore. Linda, I'm still getting one. I'm still better. It's called the Coalition on Intercollegiate Athletics, and it's the... It started at University of Oregon, and it was a, um, it was a, it was the faculty governance uh, representation towards athletics, trying to influence how college and collegiate athletics is. I'm not going to say run, but but kind of trying to be the, the 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 voice of the athlete, lack of better terminology. Um, and we're not, I don't think we sit on that anymore, um, because <clears throat> they, they didn't really kind of progress the way we thought. Um, and, and it was a good decision to step back from that. I was on the uh, executive committee of it, kept trying to push to get, um, certain legislation. Um, and at the time you understand uh, Miles Brand, who I got to be friends with Miles Brand, who was president of the NCAA at the time, um, since died of, uh, I believe it was uh, pro um, pancreatic cancer. That was a big loss. Uh, Miles really had the student athlete at the heart of the whole discussion. And so, um, you know, the big state schools were where we were hearing most of the problems from. Um, and so, you know, there was kind of this divide within the, <clears throat> excuse me, within the coalition of the big state schools versus the little private institutions or the D1s, D2s, D3s. And so um, that said, um, which that led to my, because uh, I was on the, um, I was an ex officio member of the Intercollegiate Athletics Committee here on at TCU. And then um, Chancellor Boschini appointed me the chairman for six years of the Intercollegiate Athletics Committee, which has oversight of the athletic department. And this was in um, Chris's, uh, Eric's last year and then Chris's tenure here, uh, Del Conte. And um, so, you know, it, TCU has a, we have a wonderful problem here, is that, you know, um, I think it's like 16 of our 20 teams, I, I don't know what the exact number is now, made postseason play in the NCAA. So we we recruit high-caliber athletes, but we also recruit high-caliber student athletes. Um, and and it's, it's fun because TCU is, is kind of a different animal than most um, from these meetings that I've had and, and got to sit in. Um, the, the bigger state schools will kind of, from what I'm understanding, what these guys are telling me, the athletes take different classes. They're in, you know, they're taking a normal class load, but they're taking them in the morning. And they've got, you know, the professor might teach an athlete-only class or heavy athletes. And um, I want, I like to say that they sequester them almost. 
um, whereas at TCU, we don't do that. I mean, you got athletes in every class and um, always, you know, and, and j- just as much so. The thing I love about this is um, we have a world-class fine arts program. You know, we have a phenomenal um, musical theater. I mean, I've had several students in the, in the musical theater program, and it's always great to go watch them and support them because, you know, it's just the talent that is on this campus um, is unbelievable, and that's kind of what I love about it. One of Dr. Aiken's most memorable moments as a TCU professor came in 2008 with a very well-known TCU student-athlete. Um, Andy Dalton, yeah. You know, Andy, I, I think Andy has a minor in Aiken because I, I had him in, I think, five classes. Um, you know, Andy's a very special young man. I, was, um, I go in on Saturdays during the official recruiting and kind of talk to the parents and talk to the prospective student-athletes. And I remember Andy coming in, and he had, it was between us and UTEP. He had one other offer. And, um, you know, his dad, Greg, and, and, you know, we're talking. And so, anyway, um, that story, I, I kind of smirked when you when you started talking about that. Um, so it's Andy's senior year, and, um, you know, NFL teams are now making – I call it an investment in some of these kids because they're giving them so much money up front. Um, and, and Andy was always a very special young man. Um, he he really knew that he was – he knew why he was here. One was to get a degree. Two was to play football. Um, and, you know, he was – we had a great – still have a great relationship. Um, and so I get – I got calls from about, I think, six general managers that year from NFL teams. And they would all say, um, Dr. Aiken, can you tell me, you know, what kind of student is Andy? You know, where does he sit in the classroom? What the... And I think it was probably the third GM. I said, let me just tell you a story. Let me tell you what kind of, you know, because it, it always boils down to, because they're asking me what kind of person is he? If he gets in the meeting room, what kind of person is he going to be? Is he a leader? Is he, you know, is he quiet? Is he sitting in the back? Is he sitting in the front? Is he sitting in the middle? You know? So I said, I said, just let me give you an example. I said it was a Thursday night game. I had Andy in a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class at 9 o'clock, 9 a.m., Smith 103. I can take you to the exact seat where all these knuckleheads sat and Kevin Sharples and Jake Patrick, Curtis Clay, Bart Johnson, who Bart is still like a son to me. Um, I love him to death. You know, all those guys. Um, had three or four of the volleyball players in there, Larnado, Kate, and Blackwood. You know, so sitting there and so Friday morning comes. We had just lost this game at Utah. Um, or I think we'd missed a few field goals. And um, so I look up, and it's, you know, 8.55. And there's one football player sitting, and he sat right in the middle, you know, second row right in the middle. It's a redheaded kid sitting there. And I walked up and just kind of talked to him. just kind of chatting before class. And I'm like, hey, man, I heard the plane had a mechanical last night coming out of Utah. He said, yeah, we were late getting in. So what time did you get in? He said, about 6.45 this morning. I look at my watch, and I'm like, really? He said, yeah. I said, uh, what'd you do? Did you go home and sleep? He goes, no, I just went and watched film. He took that loss really hard. He took it as, it's my fault. 
he was that's the kind of kid he was i mean he was you know he always he was he was he, he's one of those guys that when you're picking a leader that's the kid you pick because he would give credit to everybody else on the great stuff and on the what we considered shortfalls or failures or whatever you want to call it he would always shoulder the blame he said no i went and watched film i had to figure out what i did wrong I'm like, well, you didn't kick the football. That's why. <laughs> and so anyway, so um, I look, you know, because the other players were not there. They decided to go home and sleep. Jake Kirkpatrick, I'm calling you out. Kevin Sharples, I'm calling you out. Curtis Clay, I'm calling you out. Bart Johnson, I love you to death, but I'm calling you out. All those guys, and, uh, you know, anyway, they get two absences. They get one there. And so I looked at Andy and I said, dude, get out of here, man. Go home, get some sleep. He looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I'm registered for this class. I'm supposed to be here. I'm like, okay, here we go. Let's talk about marketing today, <laughs> folks. And I told that to the general managers of these NFL teams, and every one of them to a T said, wow, thank you. That's exactly what we needed to hear. <laughs> like, okay, that's the kind of guy he is. So, And it was. He was he's special. He's, um, you know, I wish he all the luck in the world always do. He's got three great kids now. That's what stinks about my job, man. As I watch these students grow up and they start having kids. And it's like, I've got one that's got four kids on the ground. I'm like, you need to slow down a little bit, man. You're going to have to pay for four TCU educations here if you're not careful. So, yeah, it's, that's fun. And how have you seen the classroom environment change over the years from when you maybe you were first a student and then first a professor <laughs> and then Andy is Andy's his own guy as yeah, we know yeah. and now you have today's uh, student well, you know, type it, of student. It's funny. Uh, Andy is as a student is no different than anybody I've ever had. Granted, he's not a I call him Skydeckers guy like me sitting on the back row. Um, Busting his butt, trying to trying to graduate, trying to you know trying to find a job, whatever. Um, it, it has. When I was a student here, um, it was a little bit easier to get in. When I was when I was I, I call it my hang around period. Uh, when Scott and those guys, this is eighty five to eighty nine, uh, maybe ninety. Um, man, it was like pay your fees, get your bees. It was like you know the. I'm not gonna. I can't say the rigor wasn't there because there were, I mean, there's phenomenal programs all across this campus, but we were 5,000 students. I believe I've been told, uh, I, I do not know this, so, but I was told that we were just about open enrollment. And um, today, we're not open enrollment, man. It's funny is because um, a great friend of mine this 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 kind of will answer your your, your question in a, in a in a heartbeat. Uh, buddy of mine, Eddie Argijo, who's one of the trade brand managers for Miller Brewing, Miller Coors now. Um, he's in charge of their sales team. That's over HEB. I bring him in to judge presentations at the end of the semester. And um, Eddie was talking to a friend of his, and this friend of his had a kid applying to college and get ready to go. And Eddie asked, said, where's your, where's your son applying to? He said, well, we're applying to Texas, we're applying to A&M, and we're going to apply to TCU as our fallback school. <laughs> and he looked at him and said, you're, you're what? Your fallback school? And he said, yeah. He goes, dude, I, 
I'm, I'm around TCU right now. He goes, I'm telling you right now. He said, Texas and A&M are your fallback school for TCU because I know your son. He won't get in TCU. I'm just telling you right now. I mean, TCU is that good. He's not getting in, so you better find another fallback. That, to me, encompasses the progression that the administration, the Board of Trustees, and everybody has put this institution on a track that is going to, you know, hopefully keep us growing and the academic reputation growing. So, yeah, when I was here, it was like, you know, awesome, you know. Now it's, you know, totally, totally different. And you talked about it growing from 5,000 to now 10,000 if you include graduate. And it's gotten bigger. 12, actually. 12 now. Yeah. And we've seen how, you know, the campus has transformed what do you feel how it's kept that similar touch where you still have people that I'm sure it's harder to, you know, go through hoops to let, you know, a student in your situation in, but you still have that same family feel? The first, you know, the, the, the easiest way to describe that is, is, is this. When I'm talking to any prospective student, I don't care if they're a football player, volleyball player, golf, baseball, tennis, fine arts, a uh, kid coming in from you know Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to look at the business school. I always ask them, you know, one of the first questions. So where are you, where are you looking to go to? You know, what, what schools are you looking at? And they'll tell you. And I'll say, let me ask you a question. And they'll say, I said, they have a football stadium. Yeah. They have a baseball field. Yeah. They have a library. Yeah. They have a, like a, a dining hall, like a student center. Yeah. They have a science building. Yeah. They have a business school. Yeah. I go, yeah. We got all those too. I said, but what they don't have is the people. The people at TCU are the differential advantage, have always been the differential advantage here. We still, we still care about the individual. Um, a buddy of mine teaches the same exact class I teach. He teaches at Michigan. He has 1,700 students in one section. 700 live, and then they broadcast him out on a closed-circuit TV to a 1,000 other students across the state of Michigan. Ask him one time, I said, you know, I've got 35 in that class. Hopefully by the second week, I'm going to know your first name, your last name, and where you're from. I might be wrong because I'm horrible with names, but I asked him, I said, how many of your students do you know? And he said, none. Why would I want to know my students? I asked him, I said, when you lecture, he stopped me and said, if I lecture, because he'll have grad students come in and deliver probably more lectures than he delivers. I said, how many rows deep do you see in that lecture hall? He said, a th- second row maybe, because of the lights, lighting, light, you know, because of the lighting. And I'm like, yeah, you've got two 30-foot screens on each side of you that there's a you know, radio, TV, digital media student up there that's running a camera. So the kids in the very nether regions, the Skydecker region, <laughs> give it up, Skydeckers. That's like Empire State Skydeckers. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, they're on, they're on the back row and they're like, what's the professor look like? I don't know. Let me look at the screen. And, you know, I'm like, I, there's no way I could do that. I mean, it's, I, I view what I do as a, as a performance art. I've always said, you know, there's a two drink minimum when I lecture normally. <laughs> Take care of your bartender, waitresses. They're working their rear ends off. So you know, it's, but it's like with me, it's it's um. I, I really want to get to know my students and what 
what they want to do and how I can help them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always been that way. And as a professor, especially in marketing, you're teaching about concepts that are constantly changing in the workforce today. Oh, yeah. So how do you stay on top of trends when you're not working, you know, in the pest control business and you know, your day job is as a professor in the classroom. So how do you stay on what's going on outside? Especially teaching four classes a semester because yeah. I'm a non-tenure track guy. Um, I, you know, I read a lot. I talk a lot. I talk to, you know, I got friends in the industry and, and that's who I bring in to judge. But I'm constantly talking to the guys that are that are in on the front line doing it. Um, I'm constantly talking to them. You know, it's it's the best way to describe it is this. I'm talking to my hiring public because the students are my product and the guys that hire them, they're my customer. So the whole process of I've got to put great product on the street. I got to put great knowledgeable students on the street for those people to hire. So I'm always talking, Hey, what, what do we need to be teaching? What do we need to be doing? How do we need to be, you know, changing this educational model? Because, I hate to say this, and for any academics out there that are listening, please forgive me for making this statement, but the academic model's been broken since the 1400s, okay? Um, when it when it ceases to evolve, um, we're in trouble. And, you know, the beautiful thing is this campus, look around, because when, when I graduated, when I first showed up, here in Fort Worth to go to work and my friends were here at TCU and I would come over here and hang out with them. The campus looks markedly different from 1988-87 to 98 when I graduated the first time from here to 2019. I mean, we are truly TCU, Texas Construction University, (laughs) because if you look around, if you don't see a construction crane up, something's wrong. The economy must be bad because we're not building, we're not changing. You know, the dorms, um, they were they were redoing Milton Daniel. It was time to redo it. Well, Scott Ankrum, my roommate, his senior year, when he dur- during season, he had to live in the dorm. 1989, they opened Milton Daniel. And somebody made the comment, said, yeah, you know, Milton Daniel's coming offline. They're going to redo the interior. I'm like, wow, it's a brand new dorm. And I'm like, oh, crap, no, it's 20 years old. Oh, my God. No, it's time to redo it. So it's like, holy smokes, okay. So, yeah, it's – so, yeah, we – that's that's the great thing is um, one of my best friends, Trey Gordon, went to went to Notre Dame. And, um, he, you know, when I went up there to see his son who went to Notre Dame, you look at the dorm and it's like, dude, have they changed the mold since Newt Rockney was here or not? You know, and it's like, you know, it's it's totally different. You know, they don't, they didn't, they don't redo the dorms up there, whereas we redo the dorms because we need to redo them. You know, mm-hmm. and that's because that's where the students are living. And you know, we we want to be a residential campus. You know, you got your first two years here. You know, look at look at the new Greek Village. I mean, um, my son. Uh, was lived the last year in his fraternity house, and the Catholic house was like, wow, you know, this needs to. Um, I'm, most of those fraternity houses there probably should have been condemned, <laughs> but you know that's, yeah, you know it's like, but no, now it's scrape them, 
build a new one, and it's a hundred times better. So TCU does not rest on its laurels. I mean, we keep getting voted top institution to work at, you know, one of the greatest places to be. You know, we keep rising in the rankings. I'm not a big rankings fan because I think they're so subjective. But anyway, that's a whole other discussion. But we keep rising in the rankings. And so, therefore, we're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole key is, you know, you got to keep keep a fresh outlook on, on everything. And that's, I think, TCU's greatest differential advantage is the people and um, administration's attitude of we're not going to stay stagnant. We're, we're constantly approve, improving, and that's what it should be. And for alumni listening to this podcast, they may not be aware that there's construction going on in your area as <laughs> – Neely has gone undergone a huge renovation. Talk about what's going on with the school you'll be at. Yeah, it's um, right now. I'm in what I call the talk, or what they call it the talk. Uh, um, it's a it's a trailer park. I'm in a double wide in a cubicle. It's the first time in my entire career I've ever been in a cubicle. Um, but they've they've they took Dan Rogers down to the they completely tore it down, and they rebuilt. Hayes Hall on top of it. Um, it is uh, truly state-of-the-art. It is probably, it's one of the most beautiful buildings I've been in. And um, the architects, uh, I think it was Honfeld, Eric Honfeld did a phenomenal job. The construction guys have done a great job. It's, it's, it's been really fun to kind of watch. I've, I've taken pictures um, through the construction process i've taken pictures along the way just so i could kind of have that this is where we were at this point this point but it's um yeah it's i mean the the from the technology in the classroom you know it's no longer chalkboards it's no longer whiteboards it's we write on the walls uh, which is just kind of counterproductive to what everything they taught me in kindergarten don't write on the walls um to you know and get anywhere via the internet i mean it's just you know you can introduce anything you want um it's it's it is it is special breakout rooms team rooms um it is phenomenal because um my opinion has always been um you learn 10 times more from your group members those that you're in class with than you do the professor uh, and that's what i want because really um we should be teaching students today one how to manage people because the biggest problems in business are people problems i don't care what you do um, and then the the whole process is sales. You should be selling yourself, selling your ideas. You know, you're, I don't care what your job is. I don't care where you are. You're always, everybody's in sales, period. So. And talking about how great the campus is, what is your favorite place on campus? <laughs> um, golly. Um, on, on Saturdays, my favorite place is Amon G. Carter Stadium watching Gary take good athletes and make them great leaders. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I get to go out and, and, and watch football practice. That's probably, from an athletic standpoint, is watching practices. Not watching the game so much, but watching practices um, because watching these guys mature. Um, favorite place on campus um, is breakout rooms or the lizard lounge when I'm meeting with a student group uh, typically towards the end of the semester I'll be I don't know I'm probably one of those 
rare birds that probably shouldn't be doing this because I'm getting older and the older I get the more it hurts the next morning um, I'll, I'll be sometimes in the library till one o'clock in the morning working with a student group especially when we got the project presentation coming up and that's 30 percent of their grade so I'm gonna give them everything I got and you know helping them um, kind of walking them through the critical thinking process and the analytical portion of their of their projects and and the cool thing is seeing the light bulbs go on but those are probably my two favorite places uh, from a from a vocational standpoint um favorite place to just kind of chill out um would probably be uh in the library um in the uh, uh any of those that right right by the research librarians up there just kind of chill out and reading and finally we'll wrap up with this what is your favorite tcu memory oh god remember i've been here 17 years but i've been around since 85 so there's there's several um if i could if i probably had to point to one um <laughs> okay i'm gonna get savvy and you're probably gonna make me cry here um two of them can i can i say yep, two? two one one current and one coming up um I got, you know, since I received my doctor of education here, I got to hood my daughter. I'm a guy that cries at the AT&T commercial. <laughs> um, and I never will forget my daughter. She's a great, she's a phenomenal teacher out in um, Alito at Coder Elementary. Third grade math and science teacher. We need more of those. And um, so I sent Mary Patton, who was the dean Allie got in the the four one program, which is they do their their senior year. They do senior year their last hours, and then they also do at the same time their first year graduate hours. So they're I mean made a four zero would take like twenty four hours fall and spring. I mean it's, it's not her daddy. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> she's a lot smarter. Much she's the best teacher in our family. Um, the coolest thing, and it's a long answer to, to, to a short question. When she graduated with her master's, I sent Mary Patton, who was the dean, love her to death, a email. And I said, Mary, is there any way possible that I can hood Allie? 15 minutes later, absolutely. And I'm like, whoa. And so um, my mom and dad were there. My son, Brooks, my wife, Allie, were there, and I got to, you know, put on my Hogwarts uniform, which is those big rubs that we like to wear, <laughs> running around going, Experientes! And so, you know, <laughs> with our little wands and everything. So I got to put my Hogwarts uniform on, and I got to hood my daughter um, with her master's hood in um, learning and literacy. So that was, that right now is, but there's another one coming up in um, December 21st of this year. Uh, when my son graduates, he's he's already finished all his coursework. He's graduated, but he's going to walk across the stage. And uh, we will have three Horned Frog graduates in our family. Uh, we'll have one, two, we'll have six degrees between three of us. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's, and, um, you know, from from personal pride standpoint, those two. But I also look back at the pictures um, from 98, from 02, and from 12, when I'm holding 
my kids wearing caps and gowns of various degrees. Uh, and I did it because I knew one day um, I would have enough money that I could retire and I had to have that college degree. And so I got both, all three of my degrees really for my kids. And so I wanted them to say, well, dad, you know, you retired at 36 and you didn't have a college degree. Why do I need one? Bovine excrement, you know, and I don't know if I can say the BS <laughs> word on here. So, you know, no, you're going to get a degree because that's directly proportional to your earning potential is that college degree. And so I said, no, I'm cutting that argument off. And so I always made it a point to get pictures of me in my robes with my kids. So yeah, those are those are the memories for me. Well, that is Dr. Bob Aiken. And thank you so much for joining us today and all those that and the reason you're here is because uh, so many people commented on you being their favorite professor during their time here, and we're so thankful for all the work you have done and continue to do here at TCU. Well, it's, it's you know, like I said, there was only probably two people that probably voted in the whole thing, is, you know, <laughs> but, but no, it's, you know, to me, um, if, you're, if you're one of mine, um, you know, my my wife, I always make fun of her. I say, you know, you're the one that birthed two children. You married one child, but you've adopted. And now it's I've had 5,719 students in my career here at TCU. Wow. I have kept track of them, and I've got downloads, and I still talk to a ton of them all the time, and I love it. So, yeah, I love, I love seeing them. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank Go you Frogs. to KTCU and co-manager Jeff Craig for their editing of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frog for Life podcast. If you or a friend or family member would like to get in touch with us to share your story, please contact us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at TCU Alumni. We look forward to sharing our next story of how TCU alumni are changing the world.